So over the coming months, I'm going to be doing three talks on some important words or concepts that we come across in the Bible all the time. Now, because they come up all the time, it's very easy for us to get maybe a little bit over familiar with them. And in order to understand the Bible and what it has to say to us, we need to have a good understanding of what these words and concepts are. We need to have, be on the same page as the Bible. We need to be talking about the same thing, basically. Now, we're very blessed to have this book here written in our language. But even though we can pick it up and read it fairly easily, some of the words that we come across have a slightly different meaning for us as they did for the guys who wrote it. So, for example, if you were to be reading some of the famous things that Jesus said and all of a sudden he mentions hell, then you instantly have this mental picture which pings up into your mind. Well, I'll be damned. I'm afraid so, yes. I am Homer Simpson. Silence, sinner! Prepare for an eternity of horrible pain! No! Quiet! You'll wake up John Wayne! I'm already up. Something a bit like that, I assume. But what if when Jesus was talking about hell, he actually was meaning something else? What if that idea of hell that we have has been informed by like 2,000 years of popular culture and religious mismanagement? Which, by the way, it has been, uh, but you'll have to wait until November to hear about that. And so over the next three months, I'm going to be taking a look at three words and concepts which I think when we understand what the original author meant for us to understand, it makes the good news about Jesus from kind of good news or meh news, or maybe even bad news, into fantastic news. If you've been following Jesus forever, I hope that this is going to be a refreshing new perspective on your faith. And if you're still checking out the church and have a million questions about God and Jesus and this whole church thing, then this is also for you because it may well be that Jesus' message is better news than you'd ever thought. So to kick us off, this week I'm going to be looking at one little word that is used all over the Bible. It's a core fundamental concept of following Jesus. And if we misunderstand what the author meant when he used this word, then we settle for a watered-down faith. Now, there's a little word in Greek, which is the language that the last quarter of the Bible is written in, and that little word is pistis, funny word. And the wonderful nerds who translated the Bible from Greek tend to translate that word one of two ways. They either translate it to believe or to have faith. So obviously, this is a super important concept for us to grab because Jesus and the other guys who contributed to the Bible talk about believing in God or having faith all the time. So if we want to start following Jesus, then we need to know what they mean by believe. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, there's a pretty snappy verse which sums this up really nicely, and it's super famous, so some of us may have heard it before. It comes from the fourth biography of Jesus' life. It's written by a chap called John. And he's quoting Jesus in chapter 3, verse 16, when he says this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And this is such a great little verse for us to focus on this morning, because it has that little word believe right in the middle. It's like the hinge or like the condition. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So, OK, I'm in a place where I'm like, yeah, eternal life. I'm going to have me some of that. Sign me up. What do I need to do? 
And it just lays it out for us nice and clearly. Just believe in Jesus. Simples. Because these days, to believe in something is to think or agree that it exists. So some people believe that aliens exist. Some people believe the earth is flat. Some people believe a man came back from the dead. Now, we know that if we believe something, it's primarily a head thing. It happens all up here. So all I need to do is think the right things about Jesus or think that he exists and bam, I've got my golden ticket. Or what about having faith? The Bible says I can do amazing things if I have enough faith. And it's from that same word, right? So if I can think the right things, get the right quantity or quality of thoughts, then, then maybe I can do some Jesus magic, right? Well, not really. Because obviously believing Jesus and God exist is super important. It's a super important first step, but it doesn't end there. And when Jesus was talking about believing in him, he wasn't talking about head knowledge. I want to pick out three things this morning to help us better understand what Jesus meant when he called us to believe in him and live by faith. Because Jesus was calling us to so much more than just thinking the right things about him. He was calling us into life in all of its fullness. The first thing I want to bring out this morning is that believing means trust, not thinking. So, as I said, we know that if we believe something, it's primarily a head thing. It happens up here. So when Jesus talks about believing in him, we understand that as believing in Jesus, it's something to do with agreeing that exists or maybe agreeing that he was who he said he was or agreeing that he did the things that he did. But I would suspect that most of us would have an inkling that there's probably more to it than that. Like if all Jesus was after was us thinking he was real, then why did he waste his breath on talking about loving our enemies or giving our money to the poor? Why did Jesus constantly tell people that if they believed in him, they would be healed? What did he mean that if they thought, no, did he mean that like if they believed he existed, then he would be, they would be healed? Of course not. He was standing right in front of them. Of course they believed he existed. Or maybe it was something to do with doing some mental gymnastics to get their heads in the right space and think the right things well enough for Jesus to do what they want. Again, I don't think so. Jesus is not some cosmic vending machine just looking for the correct change in order to act. Now, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus had a slightly different concept in mind when he was talking about believing in him. What Jesus had in mind was less about what was going on in our heads and more about what's going on in our hearts. As far as Jesus was concerned, there wasn't much use asking someone what they believed because you could just tell what they believed by observing their behaviour. Let me show you what I mean. (laughs) So, let me show you what I mean. From Jesus' perspective, I don't have to ask Emily anything to know what she believes in, do I? Okay. (laughs) We can tell what she believes by looking at her which is something I like to do, and observing her behaviour, which is something else I like to do. So we can say with confidence that Emily believes in gravity, because right now she's stood here, she's not grabbing onto things, she doesn't believe that she's going to fly off into space at any moment, so we know that Emily believes in gravity. We can also surmise that Emily believes in her bank, because uh, I'm looking at you, you don't seem to have all of your cash on you at the moment, you're making it rain, I'm assuming that you have a bank and a card and you kind of assume So Emily believes in her bank. We can also see that Emily believes in the government because she's not currently carrying a weapon. So she believes in some kind of state that will protect her and keep her safe. She doesn't need to protect herself. She doesn't need to carry a weapon. These are three things that we can observe that Emily believes just by looking at her and seeing the way that she behaves. You are dismissed.
Now, in all of those scenarios, I've used the word believe, but there is a more appropriate English word that we could use, because it's a bit odd to say that Emily believes in her bank, because of course she believes her bank exists. But there's a nuance of meaning which can be better accessed if we use the word trust. Emily trusts gravity. She trusts her bank. She trusts the government. Her lifestyle reflects what she trusts. And so when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, he's not talking about what's going on in our heads, although that is obviously important. He's talking about what's going on in our hearts. We could quite correctly paraphrase, whoever trusts in me will have eternal life, which leads me on to my next observation. Jesus was inviting us into a relationship and not a religion. If we have a concept of Jesus that he just wants us to think the right things about him or make ourselves think better thoughts about him, then that's an invitation into a religion. It's an invitation into an exchange, which is really all a religion is. A religion says, if you do this and this and that and think this and do this, then God will do this, that and the other for you. It's a super easy way to relate to God, and I find myself doing it all the time. But can I suggest that if you're looking for a religion that you look elsewhere, because Christianity is a terrible religion. I love leading my own church because I can get away with stuff, saying stuff like that. But it honestly is. Christianity is a terrible religion. Christianity does not treat God like a vending machine where if I just think or do and believe the right things, then God will hook me up with all the stuff I want. It's easy for us to think that by reading our verse this morning. It says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life, which to me sounds like a ticket to heaven. Sounds like a religious exchange program. Except again, we're assuming what eternal life means. We're bringing our own definition to the table. And John, the guy who wrote this biography of Jesus' life, he hasn't left that up to us to define because he tells us what he means by eternal life a little bit later on. He says, now this is eternal life. So here comes the definition that they know you, that's us, that we know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And again, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. It sounds more like a relationship. So eternal life is about a relationship with God and with Jesus. And when that verse says no, to know God and to know Jesus, it doesn't mean like know how I know Jackie down the road who lives at number six and has too many cats. In the Bible, when you know someone, you're bound to them. It's like being married to them. So when Jesus says, whoever believes in me shall have eternal life, he's inviting us into an intimate trust relationship. And that is messy. That's wonderful. That's complicated. That is not a religion. That is not thinking the right things. That's falling in love with someone and moving in. When Jesus is inviting us to believe in him, he's not inviting us to tick a certain box on a religion form. He's inviting us into a vibrant trust relationship, which is the key to living life in all of its fullness. Living a life so full, it somehow overflows and outlives death. Absolute mind blower. Finally, my third point, that the opposite of belief is fear. Now, this occurred to me the other day when I was cutting the grass, which is incidentally a wonderful time to do your thinking. Uh, that we can learn a lot about what we think a word means by figuring out what its opposite is. So if our idea of belief is based in our heads, then the opposite of belief is doubt. I either believe in God or I doubt his existence. And in this way of thinking, uh, to have faith means to eliminate all of our doubt. So if we want to have faith for something, 
we think that if it doesn't happen, we didn't do a good enough job of eliminating our doubt, and we need to doubt less. And guys, this is not Jesus' message. Doubt is a good and healthy thing. It forces us to examine our assumptions, to test what we believe and bring it to our friends. Doubt solidifies our faith. Questions are good. Don't ever be afraid or ashamed to doubt what you believe. Just don't keep it to yourself. Doubting and believing, both of them are team sports, so let's do them together. No, if we've established that Jesus wasn't talking about what we think, but rather how we're living and who we're trusting, then what's the opposite of belief then? What is the opposite of trust? Mistrust? Well, maybe, but I think it actually goes further than that. Because we've already talked about how this is within a relationship, that Jesus is inviting us into a trust relationship. So if we can trust the other person in our relationship, then we can build, we can relax, we can rely on one another. Life just works. We can rest because we can trust. And when trust is gone in a relationship, all of a sudden we're afloat. We have to guard ourselves. We have to protect ourselves. Nothing is sure anymore. We can't build anything of substance. We can't live life to the full. In other words, we live a life characterised by fear. Fear of what might happen and who we can rely on. Fear of what's coming around the next corner. See, I believe that the opposite of belief is doubt, but the opposite of trust is fear. And this concept of trust versus fear is a super useful key to carry every time we pick up a Bible and start to read it. The whole story of the Bible could be boiled down to this question. Will human beings trust God or will they trust themselves? Will human beings rely on him or themselves for who to run their lives and the world? You know, right at the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, the first two human beings standing at a tree, right at the very beginning, and God gives them the choice to trust him and gain eternal life or go their own way and live a life of fear. And do you hear those echoes with what John was saying? Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And there's Adam and Eve at the beginning, believing in God and giving the opportunity to have eternal life. This Bible, it's one story. It's one simple message that leads to Jesus. Will we accept God's invitation to a beautiful, trust-filled relationship with him where we get to rule the world alongside him by his wisdom? Or will we forge an uncertain path for ourselves, characterised by uncertainty and fear? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. So there you have it. We have redefined what the Bible means when it talks about believing. We've talked about how believe means trust, not think. How Jesus was inviting us into a relationship and not a religion. And finally, how the opposite of belief is fear. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, for me, it leads me to ask a pretty important question. Do I believe in Jesus? And of course, I don't mean in the head way. I mean in the heart way. It leads me to ask myself, do I trust Jesus? Because as we explored earlier, the things we believe in, the things we trust, all that comes out in the way that we behave. Now, I once heard someone say that if you want to find out what a person believes, you should pay no attention to what he says he believes, 
Even pay no attention to what he thinks he believes. Instead, look at how he behaves, and that's how you'll know what he believes. Or as another wise old bloke said, if you want to know what someone values, read their diary and their bank statements, because where we spend our time and our money tells the true story of what we believe to be the most valuable. And I think it falls to each of us to ask a simple question. And that question is, is saying, looking at my life and the way I live, do I trust Jesus? And I'm sure for all of us, we'd like to think uh, uh, that we, what we believe and what we say we believe is perfectly in line with what we actually believe. But personally, I can see this inconsistency all over the place in my life. Let me give you a couple of examples. I say I believe that climate change is a really big problem. And I, 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 I do believe that. I think I believe that inside, that we need to make some radical changes in order to hand over this world to our kids in a better state than the way we found it. I say I believe that. I think I believe that. But I also know that the biggest contributor to my carbon footprint is the amount of meat that I eat. So if I truly believed that we all need to make radical life changes, would I still be eating so much meat? Food for thought. Or let's take another one. If I, I say I believe, and I think I believe, that I can have a relationship with God, the guy who created all of this, that we can talk to one another, and that I can ask him for stuff when I want to see change in the world, and that sometimes when I ask him for stuff, and when it's in line with what he wants in the world, some changes will happen. I can pray and stuff can happen. I say I believe that. I think I believe that. But if I truly believed that, don't you think I would pray all the time, just in case? Now, of course, this is not a moment for any of us to beat ourselves up over what rubbish Christians we are. It's a moment to look at our lives and reflect on the places where we find it difficult to trust in Jesus and to look to make some practical changes that will help us to trust in him more. Because for all of us, if we want to trust Jesus, we need to put it into practice in down and dirty practical ways every day of our life. Our role is not to think the right things, it's to work at the relationship that we're in. Like if we want to be faithful in the context of a marriage, if we want to have faith in our marriage, we're not faithful by simply thinking the right things about our relationship and our partners. No, in order to have faith in our marriage, in order to be faithful, in order to believe in our marriage, we have to act in a way which upholds our marriage, preserves and promotes it. Simply thinking the right things about our marriage isn't going to get us anywhere. If we believe in something, if we have faith in it, if we want to be faithful, we need to allow that to inform the way that we live. And exactly the same is true when it comes to following Jesus. If we want to have faith in Jesus, if we want to believe in him, to be faithful to Jesus, then we need to work to uphold our relationship with him. So, the invitation from Jesus this morning is to go deeper into that relationship with him, to trust him more with the areas of our life which are currently defined by fear. Maybe it's the way we think about and spend our money, or the way we think about and value ourselves, or the way we think about and value others. Maybe it's in response to a really difficult issue or decision in our lives. Let's take the opportunity today as we respond to ask what areas of my life can I identify where I'm acting out of fear and ask Jesus to help us to live instead out of a place of trust. So as we transition now into a time of response, I want to invite all of us to consider what it means for us to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus. 
For many of us, that will mean taking the time to look at our lives and ask that question. What are the areas of my life where I'm living more out of fear than trust? What am I currently worried or afraid about? And taking those things to God in prayer and asking him to help you to overcome your fear. Or for others of us, it might be, we might be in a place where actually we feel like it's the believing in God that he even exists or that he's good or that he would even care about you that is tripping you up. And if that's you, then I just want to lead you now in a super simple prayer. And I think God loves to answer this prayer. So if you agree with uh, what I say, you can just say yes in your heart. Or sometimes we say amen to mean the same thing. I'm going to pray this prayer and then we're going to go straight into a time of uh, response and worship led by Emily. So feel free to respond in whatever way feels most appropriate to you. If you want to stand and sing, then go for it. Or if you want to sit and pray and have a chat with God, then you go for that too. We want to encourage you guys to respond in whatever way is most appropriate for you in your setting. So I'm going to pray this prayer now. And if you agree with what I say, you can just say yes or amen in your hearts. And then Emily's going to lead us in some song worship. God, I don't know if you're real. I still have so many questions that I don't know what to think. But there are loads of times when I really hope that you are there. And if you are, then I hope it's true that you love me and that you care about my life. I want to know for sure that you're there. So please, would you prove it to me this week? I invite you to show up in my life in a way that I will know beyond any doubt that it's you. Amen. And Father, we just pray for all of us as a community that you would help us if we've made that decision to follow you, to trust you with every area of our lives. We want to walk away from fear in our lives and walk into trust in you. So would you lead us? Father God. Amen.